WPSL Port St. Lucie. It's nine o'clock and time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're really glad that you tuned in today to the show. Thank you so much. Gary Jones and I here are here for the next hour. My name is Mike Schmidt. Um, I'm the preacher, one of the elders of the church here. Gary's the other elder. And we're going to talk about quite a few different subjects this morning, and, and especially we will talk about whatever is on your mind today. Maybe you've got something on your mind that you would like to uh, talk about, about spiritual things. In just a moment, I'm going to give you the numbers to reach us here and so you can call into the show. Before we do that, real quickly, I'm going to give you the ground rules in case we have some new listeners today that don't know that. This show is a live call-in show. And we'll take your calls, and, you can, and we'd, we'd like to have a discussion with you. So if you can, we encourage you to go ahead and stay on the line. We'll talk with you. Maybe we can ask a follow-up question, or maybe you've got to ask a follow-up question. Maybe you need to clarify something because we misunderstood your question. A lot of things like that go on. So that makes an interesting show if you'll do that. You, and we always promise you, since this show is not about uh, confrontation or anything like that. This show's about learning and having a discussion and finding out what the Bible says about things. We promise we're going to give you the last word on any subject. We're not trying here to intimidate you or embarrass you in any way. Even if we disagree, we're not going to try to, we're going to, not, not going to do that. So you feel free to call in, even if you think that we're not going to agree with what you say, or you know you don't agree with what we've said before or saying, we'd be glad to have you call in. And we would like to especially encourage those of you who are not even believers in Jesus Christ or the Bible to call in. I'd like to hear what you have to say about these things. And uh, hopefully uh, we can both learn something. So we encourage you to call in. You can reach We Are Just Christians at 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120 is the number here in Port St. Lucie, and we'd be glad to have your call this morning. If you'd like to leave us a text message or text us this morning, we can take text during the show most of the time. Sometimes things are a little hectic. We can't do that, but most of the time we can respond to your text uh, while we're on the air, and you can text us anytime during the week if something comes up. You can reach me. I've got my own text number. So does Gary. My text number is 772 772-260-6120. 6120 and Gary's text number is 772-260-6220. So line 6120 is a 6220 and you feel free to get in touch with us by text uh, anytime you want to. During the show we'll try to uh, work that text into our into our conversation if uh, if you want us to. So that's kind of the ground rules of the show. It's a live show. It's about all kind of anything spiritual. Of course, we believe, since we believe the New Testament is God's Word, or the Bible is God's Word, inspired, we believe it applies to life all the way down through time, whether it's in the 1st century, the 15th century, or the 21st century. God's Word is what we ought to be living by, and it applies and tells us the truth, especially the truth about God and man. It's not meant to be necessarily a scientific textbook, although it teaches the truth about that too, but it's about God and man and man's relationship to God. Really, therefore, Gary, it's the most important subject we can deal with. Science well, is great. Technology <clears throat> is wonderful. I love every bit of it. But science and technology cannot answer the most important questions men ask in their lifetime. Can't answer those questions. There's no, it has nothing to say, really, of any value in the most important things in life, which people want to talk about. But the Bible does. That's what it's about. Well, the, the question, the, basically the passage, excuse me, my, my voice is... Uh, gone this morning, but the most important passage that I think we can look at quickly is John twelve forty eight. Jesus says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Yes. And that comes from scripture. Jesus right. went on to tell his apostles, uh, basically that even after he ascended, he would be sending them information through the Holy Spirit, basically telling them things that he hadn't taught them and, and reminding them of things that he had. Correct. So and, all, and all, the, all the New Testament, basically the letters and the Gospels, are what Jesus is talking about here. That gives us the urgency to pay attention to what's being said, because there's a judgment day coming. 
<clears throat> now, what really is not our subject today, Gary, but I, I think you have to uh, understand when people talk about, we talk about the judgment day, it gets people upset or turns them off. But I want you to think about this before you go away on that subject, before, before you turn your mind off about that. Most people are very concerned about justice. It's the catchphrase of our generation almost, justice, and, and fairness and equality and all those kind of things. Let me tell you something. If there's no heaven or hell, then there can never be any kind of justice ever in the universe. Because most crimes people commit, most horrible things people do, never get punished on this earth. And, and so that's the, that's, the na- that's the necessity of a heaven or hell. And it isn't true that good people have all, only good things happen to them on this earth. Bad people have bad things happen. You, can't be, you, you don't even believe that when you're seven years old. You can see different than that. And so hell is necessary for justice to ever be finally put forth. And But the trouble is, for us personally, is sometimes we're going to end up on the wrong side of God's justice because we've ignored him and lived our own life the way we want to and told God to get lost. Well, there's a judgment day coming for that, too. Uh, Basically, there's two kinds of justice. There's a spiritual justice where we violate God's law, and there is a physical justice that we think of most often where we violate the statutes that man has made. And basically they're different, but they can result, have the same result in the final judgment. In a general way, the statutes of man and God are lined up in a broad way. Yes. Murder, theft, uh, uh, lying, those things are all lined up. But but in specific ways, of course, they're not. And and we still know, I was reading the other day, Gary, that only about, what is it, 40% of murders are ever solved? I think it's less than that. Maybe Yeah, uh, maybe less than that. And, and most crimes, violent crimes, don't get solved um, for various reasons. Now, now, we're doing a little better job in some ways uh, in the last uh, few decades because of DNA and, and other advances we've made, you know, technologically. But still, that... There's not DNA in every case, and it doesn't solve everything. And, and there's not the correct interpretation of DNA in every case. You, no, it's, it's, it's faulty, and it has its own faults. So justice, that's why when something bad happens to you, or an injustice even no human creates, you, you can rest assured that even if that person is not caught in this life, there is a judgment day coming. And that's the judgment that Jesus refers to in the last day that's right. coming. And it may be coming upon you. You may think you get away with what you do, but you don't. So turn your heart toward, toward God. Live toward God in the right way. Live toward your fellow man in the way that he directs you. And you will not, you will not be wrong in either case, either in this life or the next life to come. Because the Bible says in First Timothy that the gospel has the promise of the life that now is and, and the that one which is to come. come. Gospel has a promise of good goodness to you in both cases, uh, however you want to live. You know, I was reading something um, from Douglas Wilson this week. Um, he, he writes these little books. He, he's a Calvinist minister up in uh, Idaho, and extremely intelli- extremely smart person. And if you you can look him up at uh, Doug Doug Wilson Dougwills dot com something like that. Douglas Wilson. He's gotten in the news recently because. Uh, he's been at odds with the city of Moscow, Idaho, uh, over their mask mandates and, other, and their assembling mandates for various reasons. It's kind of an interesting story to read. But he was talk. He wrote a book called Letters to a Broken Girl. It's kind of a compilation, a, comp, a fictional composite of his counseling with uh, a, bu- a victim of sexual abuse. And it isn't the actual names, the actual story, but everything in he said is true from his counseling events. And one of the things he made, a point he made to this young girl that you reminded me of, Gary, with something that you said, was that it's very tempting when people have been, and, and the person who abused her was her clergyman father in this case. A, a, a so-called pastor had abused her, and it was her father. All came to light eventually when she was in her late teens. He was eventually jailed. This young girl is broken because of this, be, being betrayed by the person who was supposed to protect and love her. This is not an unheard of story at all, not an uncommon story. And in the event, he, he made the point that this, I'm sure you're feeling, she, he says, that God lets you down and that somehow he abandoned you in your hour of need. But he says, so your temptation then is to get rid of God and 
say that God doesn't exist or, or whatever the case may be. But he says, be careful about that. I'm paraphrasing that because he's, uh, because he said, when you throw God out, now you have no reason to say what your father did was wrong or will ever be punished. Right. Because once you go, once you say, well, it's everything is relative and that there's no God above that sets moral laws of the universe in which in setting this, this uh, rape of his daughter was a horrible sin in God's eyes. And he will be punished for that if he doesn't repent. Once you take God out, though, it just becomes uh, nothing. It, it, it's just something that, that men deal with. And so you have no, no way to even have any justice. You think when you jail this guy for a few years and he gets out, he told her, you, you think that's going to make it better for you because he served a few years in jail? He said, that's never, that's never going to fix this sin. And so he says, when you throw God away in your attempt because you're mad at God, get angry with God, throw him away, you actually psychologically do yourself more harm than you do good. Because what you're saying is there's no right or wrong, really. Right or wrong is defined by the cultural Marxist of our day rather than by God himself, you know. So you have this whole problem. Anyway, Gary, I'm leading. I'm going off what we talked what we said <laughs> we we're going to talk about today. So, um, well, uh, you know, let me give the number. Say this. I'm going to give you the numbers then. So well, 70 years ago, that was that was what was taught. And you could even see that in the movies. I was what lately I have uh, I have given up on the news and I watch a lot of old movies. Now, when Gary says old movies, he means old. I movies. mean old movies. Yeah. These not, are the not ones nineteen ninety movies. No, yeah. I mean I mean nineteen forties and fifties yeah, movies. Now we're talking old. And basically, that concept appeared in some of those movies. The idea that, well, we may not be able to convict this guy here, and he may get away with it, but he won't get away with it in the final judgment not if he doesn't repent and and change. And and I think now, this isn't wishing. You know what he told this young girl. He says, go, go read the Psalms. And he says, I want you to especially pray the imprecatory Psalms. The Psalms were where the psalmist is asking God to bring down judgment upon evil people There's just, and, and all the things God's going to do to the evil people. There's a bunch of Psalms like that that people have struggled with over the years. Well, how can, how can a book? Because, see, they, they want to put Psalms on a cross stitch and hang it in their living room, you know. My Lord's my shepherd, I should not want. Well, that's one kind of Psalm. Then there's right. the imprecatory psalms, which are much more uh, uh, harsh because it's calling on God to judge wicked people. He said, I want you to pray those psalms to God so that God can bring justice to your father, in this case, to your father. Now, that justice, he said, means being reconciled to God one way or the other. But, and so he said, if, it'll have the effect of either either your father repenting, are you being satisfied with God's justice? Interesting concept. I hadn't really thought of all that that way in some ways. I do know, though, that <clears throat> people who have been victimized in this way of sexual abuse and other things do struggle with God. Well, they one, struggle with the concept of a one father. One of the things I always think about is, is there's a passage in Job where Job basically gives the characteristics of what we think of as the worthy man, and one of the characteristics is... He has not asked for judgment upon his enemies. Job actually says that. He says, I have not asked for judgment on my enemies. And I asked, and I'm starting to think why. Well, I'll tell you. One of the things that I know and understand for sure is when I face God in the judgment, I'm not going to want justice. No. When I face him, I'm going to want mercy. Yes, but, but I know that God, I already know that God will judge those who are, do evil. Yes, even though because sometimes if someone's your enemy, it doesn't mean that they're that they're evil. It means that they've done you wrong, and that's evil, I suppose. But uh, or they may want to harm you for some reason. But uh, God will take care of all that. That's one of the that's one of the benefits of Christian thinking, Christian worldview, is you realize that things don't get settled in courts of law. They don't get settled in elections. They don't get settled in in in, in the way you go to a reconciliation and dispute at the civil courts. They most of the time, or many much of the time, they get settled in the judgment day, and I am perfectly content. At least With I, God say, to I do can that. say this now for God to do that. I haven't been wrong like this young woman I'm mentioning has, but I'm perfectly content to let God take His justice. He's much better at it than I am, and uh, they ought to fear God, not me. In this case, when they do wrong against me, well, the law of Moses required at God's command two or three witnesses. 
for a conviction of a capital crime or an offense that uh, and yet we see examples in the Old Testament where those two or three witnesses were false and innocent people were convicted. Right. Uh, I think uh, Naboth was one. Right. Now, is Naboth going to have justice in the final day? I would he think would. he will. There are so many ca- things. If you, wa- you watch some of these tr- real crime shows, detective shows like I do, you see people, especially in Canada and Europe, Australia, uh, they have a guy can commit five or six brutal rapes and murders and dismemberments, and he got the stiff penalty of fifteen years in jail. And I'm sitting there going, "What? That's incredible!" And so, in man's view, if you take a strictly legal standpoint, when that fellow serves his fifteen years, maybe they tack on five more for parole. You know, parole. He serves his fifteen years. He's free and clear. He is considered now a just man. Justice was served. He's free of his penalty. Do you really think that's what God thinks about it? You can dismember five girls and rape them, and you get 15 years in jail is, is a true and just punishment? Why well, it is? It's incredible to think. So he still has a lot of punishment coming and justice coming if he doesn't change and repent. And, of course, we all know that the repeat rate is very high, both in Europe, Australia, and the United States. Yes. And, and now we get stiffer penalties. When you look at them, you see the United States has much stiffer penalties. Some states actually put people to death. But, but uh, it still probably doesn't really pay the, pay the penalty for most, most of the time. The ones being executed often, often are claiming innocence even they're being executed when the evidence is completely against them. Now, now we can argue the death penalty, and I'll, I understand all about that. But I'm just saying even the death penalty probably doesn't altogether satisfy God's justice. Although it, there's indication that it does, a life given for a life that would satisfy that justice of God. But that still doesn't mean that person who is executed for a crime is going to go to heaven just because they paid a penalty for that sin. That's just one of their sins that they well, paid this, a penalty for. All of this kind of goes along with the idea, Mike, that I think that most people have that all people, like, like all dogs are going to go to heaven, well, all people are going to go to heaven. And the scripture just doesn't give us that conclusion. No, that doesn't at all. That's the, that's the, that's the reason, I, I, meant, I guess I was trying to say, get kick, kick this off this direction. We didn't really mean to, but the, the, that the, the verse you quote, uh, that the, Jesus' words will judge us in the last day. That's John 12, 48. Yeah, John 12, 48. That, that, gives the, that gives the urgency to the things that Gary and I talk about on this show and other spiritual things that you may read or see, or, or really... A study, and a, not only just a study, but trying to make the Bible alive in you, it gives the urgency to that that it deserves, because th- that judgment is real, it's coming. Now, Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, because sentence against an evil work is delayed, the heart of men is fully set within them to do evil. I think that's like the King James Version of that quote. In other words, when justice is delayed, when the execution of it is delayed, people then say, well, I can get away with it, and they, keep, they do it more. And God has his reasons for, for delaying the final judgment of people, but we needn't think that it isn't real. Men may forget. Well, I believe he's patient. he's patient wanting all to come to him and all basically to accept God and be saved. And so he is probably more patient than we as individuals might be if we were uh, if we were injured by someone they will um sometimes on these shows i watch gary uh, a guy will commit a murder i remember one specific this guy from uh, e- the east uh went out to california somewhere and shot a cop in the 1950s and finally in the 1990s they figured out who it was cold case and they caught this guy. He was a young renegade when he committed the murder of a policeman at night one night. And yet here he is, an old man. They go rouse him out of his house. And you see the look. And they even actually had, I think they had some pictures. The look on this man's face was just utter disbelief. He had a family, a job. He had been married for 30 years or something, 25 years, 30 years. Had children, grandchildren. And I guess he had he kind of changed from his life of crime. But when they, when they caught him, he, he was just totally in disbelief that they actually caught him after all that time. Then there's others, when they catch him, the cop will say, well, 
first thing he said was, I've been waiting for you to come for a long time. Yeah. Their conscience was against them all that time. They knew. But yeah, men, even our justice system remembers things like murder. Doesn't go away by a statute of limitations. I can tell you this. There is no statute of limitations upon your, your insolence and rebellion against God by refusing to live the, the way he wants you to, by refusing to become a Christian and submit to him. There's no statute of limitations on that. Just because well, you turn into a nice person when you get old and you're a grandma doesn't mean that all that gets washed away because you become a grandma. Well, that's that's interesting, Mike, and I still that's one of the reasons why I, I think John twelve forty eight is something that we need to continuously remind ourselves. I would I advise our listeners if you have a Bible and you're willing to underline or highlight a passage, that's one candidate for something that ought to be underlined and highlighted. And and, and Gary quotes that because it fits the nature of this show, which is in particular uh, about the idea of helping people understand what the Bible says in the modern world. I know the language sometimes in certain translations is somewhat archaic. It's there's newer translations you can get that are still faithful to the word. And and yet it still involves you reading and thinking and perusing and trying to analyze, understand what the Bible says, put different passages in their proper context. So it, it takes time. Some of it can be, some things can be understood very simply, but overall it takes time for the spirit to work in your heart through the word to change you over time. And so that's why that's what this show is about is showing you how to become just a Christian, not part of some man-made denomination or following your own heart or something like that, or following traditions, whatever it may be, even humanistic traditions, but about following God's word. And to do that, you have to know God's word. Yes. And that's the point of this show. And that's why Gary brings up this passage because you have to know God's Jesus words before you can uh, escape the penalty for disobeying him. Mike, that brings up uh, one of the questions that one of our listeners wrote us about is basically how do you recognize the church or how do you recognize what God wants you to do? Before we go there, let me, we meant to start with that, I guess. Before we go there, let me give the numbers again, Gary. Okay. 772 Three four zero fifteen ninety is the number to reach us live on the air. If you want to talk about this subject, or maybe it's made you think about something related to it, that's fine. If you want to change the subject, feel free to do that. But seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety is the live number. If you'd like to reach us by text, I'm just going to give my number for simplicity here. Seven seven two two six zero six one two zero is the text number, and you can reach Gary or I, uh, either one at that number, uh, by text message this morning or during the week. Okay, Gary, well, we did have this show that came in, or this email that came in from a previous show. Uh, she said, I would like to hear a show about recognizing the church or finding the church. I think this is very needed. Okay, so she wants to know how a person today, considering the fact that there's like 1,500 different denominations in the United States alone, maybe more than that, and every street corner has a church on it with a different name and sign, different teachings, how do you go about finding the church of the New Testament? That's what the show is about. There is a church in the New Testament that's represented by what the apostles taught and what they did and showed people, and we, we how do we find that? But we got a call, uh, Gary. Okay. All right, Jerry, are you there? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, uh, Mike and Gary. Uh, I was wondering about the chronological order of Lent, and uh, the as, as far as the agony in the garden went, and uh, I wonder if you could explain that. I'd like to let, listen off air. That'd be okay, Mike. Okay, that'd be fine, Gary. Jerry, I appreciate your calling. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Lent. You want to know about the chronological order, how it works? Well, um, I guess Lent happened, I guess we're as far as the um, denominations are concerned or about um, the Catholic Church in particular, because that's a, basically a Catholic holiday. I think we're in, the, in Lent right now. I think it started February, or maybe, no, it begins on, yeah, February 17th to April 3, right? 40 days, is that what it is? And so Lent is, um, 
is part of the liturgical year or the church year. See, in, in denominationalism, Gary, this isn't true in the Bible, because as church historians will tell you, even notably Philip Schaff, that in the New Testament there were no religious yearly religious festivals in the New Testament. Now, you can read about them during the life of Christ under the old law of Moses, but after the church began in Acts chapter 2, you don't see any mention of any yearly festivals for Christians. There were, there were four feasts of the Jews, and then some other ones that they, excuse me, four feasts of the Lord, like in Leviticus 23, uh, but there were no feasts of the Lord in the New Testament, so no yearly festival. So anytime you hear about something that comes up every year, like Christmas, Easter, uh, Lent, as an, observance, as an observance, a period of time called Advent, and all the other things, you're simply reading or hearing about various Christian traditions that have grown up in the centuries after the apostles. So fundamentally, Jerry, Gary and I give no credence to those holidays as being from the Lord because his apostles did not establish them. We're, we're supposed to, according to Acts 2.42, the early church steadfastly continued in the apostles' doctrine and teaching and fellowship, I should say. So we're going to continue steadfastly, not waver from what the apostles taught. And the apostles didn't teach anything about Christmas or Easter or Lent or anything along that line. But, the, but over time, religious leaders in the Catholic Church and then following them in the, Protestant, in the higher Protestant churches developed a church year, starting with Advent, the coming of Christ, being born in, in December, they said, and then on through, uh, on through the year. Um, and I, I'm not sure how it all works, but it, the, I guess the resurrection of Christ, the, it's called Lent, and then the passion of Christ, the suffering, is part of that. So Lent is 40 days, not counting Sundays, which begins on Ash Wednesday and ends on the Saturday before Easter. Okay, So that's the nature of the holiday. It, it comes from the Latin word, which means 40th. It's an abbreviation of the Latin word for 40th. And so you have these 40 days. Now, what happens is most people are supposed to be giving something up. They're, it's What they've done, Gary, <clears throat> sorry, I'm so disjointed this morning about this. It's a big subject. They've taken the 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry after he was that, tempted. That's what I was thinking. He, and they stuck the, it before his in the church year, they just made up a holiday and stuck it before the resurrection. So that leading up to the resurrection, you have this period of penance, repentance, mortifying the flesh, which means uh, giving up things. I heard it. Joe Biden's going to give up executive orders for Lent. I don't know. I'm sure about that. But, but uh, <laughs> Somehow you know, I doubt that. P- people, are, people give up stuff. I, I give up cottage cheese. I'm joking because everybody knows how much I hate cottage cheese. But, but people play games like they do with most things about this. Then there's other people that take it very seriously, uh, of self-denial. It's observed. Here's what Wikipedia says. I just looked up Wikipedia to see how many churches do this. It lists them as um, Anglican, which is in the United States, Episcopalian, Eastern Orthodox. There's a Greek Orthodox church up here in Port St. Lucie, Lutheran, Methodist, Moravian, Oriental Orthodox, Reformed, including Presbyterian Congregational churches, United Protestant Roman Catholic churches. Some Anabaptist and Baptist non-denominational churches also observe Lent. And what it is, is a time of trying to remember some of the suffering of Christ. So you give up certain luxuries. Then other people add a spiritual discipline like reading and daily devotional to reading and stuff, which you probably should be doing all the time. And this is going to end now when around Easter, after Christ is crucified there on what they call Good Friday, end of the holiday, made a Good Friday, and then, um, what's it called? That Saturday is called something else now. Can't think of the name, but they call that Saturday. Um, I just said it, didn't I? Anyway, then there's, then there's Easter Sunday. Well, one thing I'd like to say, Mike, is that I don't believe there's anything wrong with you as an individual saying today I'm going to set aside and I'm going to think about things that are spiritual. I'm going to try to read and understand the Bible, and I'm going to try to do what God asked me to do and try to remind me. There's nothing wrong with you as an individual doing that. 
you, you can celebrate any day you wish. It's, it's when people start making this into a commandment of God that does not exist in Scripture and then judging of, others if and, they don't do it. And, and judging others when they don't do it. Jesus said something about the Jews did the same thing in, in you know, 2,000 years ago. Jesus talking about the Jews in Matthew 15 and beginning about verse 7, he says, hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's the problem. That's the they problem. worship him in vain or emptiness, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So I believe, Jerry, I know, you, I know you're, not, you're listening, that Lent is not a biblical holiday. What Gary is saying is if you want to, if you want to fast and do whatever you want to do all during the year, certain periods, anytime you wish, that, that's up to you. But I, as a gospel preacher, someone trying to teach you the Bible, Gary, too. We cannot tell you about Lent from the Bible. We can't. Right. We can't say you should be doing this. Uh, I'm going to say you should be involved in prayer and fasting, and you should be involved in other forms of of um, worship to the Lord individually. But and I can't you should tell be, you and you should be involved in reading. That should scripture. be all the time. But it should not be, it's not something I can tell you from the Bible. And so my, my plea to people is to get away from these commandments of men that people made up in the centuries since Christ came. They made them up and then they bind them on people to make you feel more holy if you do this or if you don't, make you feel bad if you don't do it. And, and it's, such, it's not what the Bible says to do. I don't, and the Bible, what the Bible says about this is, well, let me see. I'll look it up and read it to you. What the Bible says is this kind of religion and thinking is not, uh, it's not of any value. It, it doesn't take you anywhere. Over in the book of, um, I believe it's Philippians, or excuse me, Colossians. Excuse me, I'll get it right here in a second. Uh, I did, I, I'm, once again, I'm using this new Bible program, so you have to bear with me. It's a little slower than what I'm used to. I'm not used to it yet. I don't know when I'll ever get used to it. Uh, but Paul says to... to well, the, what's the reference? Uh, I'm sorry, Philippians 2.20. Oh, Philippians? Philip, oh, I thought you Gary, said thank you. Colossians 2.20. Okay. Look at what he says. Let's begin back in verse 16. Colossians 2.16. Paul says... Now, this is a group of people that was in an area in Colossae, which is in Turkey, where there are all kind of different religious doctrines coming through there, all the travelers coming through that part of the world, and they were trying to blend together several different kinds of religion, which is what happened in the development of Roman Catholicism. We see it today. It was a blend of a lot of pagan customs uh, in various locations, plus Christianity. So what Paul talks about said, here is exactly what happened in, in, in all the Catholic yes, churches. Yes, over time. And that's what you got to know. So let no one judge you, he says, in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. So Paul says, as a Christian, uh, no one has a right to judge me whether I eat meat or don't eat meat, whether I eat pork or not, or whatever food or drink, and regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath days. These are things brought over from the law of, of Moses back into Christianity. He says, you can't judge me whether I keep the Sabbath or not, whether I keep a new moon or any Jewish festival, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, which were which some of the Jews and other pagans were doing. I would parallel that with the worship of even saints. If you can't worship angels, you certainly can't worship saints, and that's the Catholic Church has. Intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast the head from whom the body nourished it together, grows into all of that. It grows with the increase that is from God. Now then, he says, verse 20 is where I'm trying to get to here. But all that is instructive because it's the background. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? He says, you died from these regulations if you became a Christian, from worldly religion, from, from Jewish, the Jewish ordinances. Why do you keep subjecting yourself to these regulations? Regulations made, he's saying, not by God, but regulations made by man. That's the context. 
Well, look at verse 23, because that's what these things result in. Well, he says, and they say, he gives them examples. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. So teaching you to fast at certain seasons, you got to do this, and and you can't touch this or that, handle. He said, all things, all these things are perished because they're according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Therefore, are these things have indeed an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. They look very religious, but it's self-imposed religion. It's false false humility. humility. Neglect of the body. You have to punish the body. Here we go with fasting for 40 days. But they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. They do not help you to stop sinning. Which That's is not, the commandments of man will not help you to stop sinning. So here I want you to recognize a pattern. Look at what Jesus said of these things in Matthew 15. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's exactly the same thing Paul says in the yes, Colossians. That's exactly what he says right here. And, and so be careful of the you, people. And Gary, what, what's so sad is that people will obey these commandments of men and ignore the commandments of God. That's the problem. Jesus said in Mark 7 that for well do you reject my commandments that you may keep the commandments of men. Yes. People do that's just a natural tendency for people to do that. And so uh, I just want to warn you when you start getting involved in all these different religious ordinances that maybe your church is involved in this this morning. All I'm asking you to do, first of all, is just think about where is this in the Bible that we're doing this today at my church service? Why are we teaching me about Lent, which is not found in the Bible at all? Or, or even Easter, which is not found in the Bible. Now, now, the events of the resurrection of Christ are in the Bible. But a holiday called Easter, that you have all these different things. And Ash Wednesday, where you put you know, charcoal on your forehead. This, none of this stuff is in the Bible. It's been added by men. And people think that keeping those kind of commandments will make them more holy. And in so doing, they forget what the real commandments are about. So be careful of the commandments of men. That's not how you become just a Christian. Maybe how you become a Presbyterian or a Catholic or something like that. But it's not how you become just a Christian. Now, well, I don't think Jerry was asking me what I just answered altogether, but Jerry asked great questions, by the way, and we thank him for that. But it gives us an opportunity to talk about this that people are involved in right now, Gary. Well, it, it goes back to one of the things that uh, I, I received email notes from various people and one of them uh one of some of them i receive are about religious things and basically i received uh, a comment uh from a from a web page or basically i think it was a uh, uh facebook page about what i needed to do to be saved that i should pray to god that i would be saved and he would come into my heart and and basically all my sins would be forgiven and so I wrote back and I asked, I says, what must I do to be saved? I asked that question. And the answer I got back from this individual was pray the sinner's prayer. And that's, that's really, and you'll be forgiven and all of this. And I said, well, where do I find the sinner's prayer and what is it in, in the, the Bible. Bible? And after about a week and a half, I got this note back and says, well, the sinner's prayer is not really in the Bible. I said, okay, case closed. Well, that tells you enough of the know <laughs> that if it's not in the Bible, It's not what you had to do to be saved. Right. And so I I urge you to, and here's the thing about this. I I know I I sound like I'm more, I sound different than what I'm feeling in my heart, as we would say about this. Look, most people that are observing Lent right now are thinking you should observe Lent. They're, They're not bad people that hate God. If they hated God, they wouldn't be concerned about any of this kind of thing. Uh, I, I know, I know that. I know that most of them are religious people, but but what they're doing is they're worshiping God in ignorance. Ignorance, once again, that's not an insult. It just means I don't know. They don't know what the Bible says about these things because they grew up in a religious tradition where the Bible reading itself and understanding was not taught properly. Or they just simply have never known. They, just, they, they get a feeling in their life, I need, to, I need to serve God. And so they find a church, just go there, whatever they say they do. They've not thought through this on their own, is what I'm trying to say, Gary. And so, therefore, they end up following the commandments of men. This shows about turning you away from that and getting you back to following just what the Bible says. Well, the problem, I think, Mike, that exists with that is it replaces in people's minds the things that God really, you know, if they don't know what God's really commanding and they do these things, now they think they've done the things that God 
would have them to do, and they don't go look and try to understand what they really should be doing. Right. Now, I think that's what Paul said. It replaces those things that they should be doing and should be searching for. Right. Now, now you know, we know that the disciples of Jesus fasted. We know that the apostles even fasted after the, when the church was established. That's not a problem. In fact, I teach about fasting occasionally. But to to regulate, how, how often should you fast? Well, now that I can't, I can't give you a Bible answer for that one. Is there a 40-day fast mentioned in the Bible? No, there's not. So I can't teach you from that. I can teach you about fasting. And then there are certain periods of time in your life when things arise, when you, you may feel feel compelled or desire to fast. It usually is accompanying by pr- company prayer and so forth in the Bible. Then you ought to fast. But the difference now is us, us as church leaders here making some kind of ordinance about when we're going to fast, how often we're going to fast, and imposing that upon people as if that's some kind of a, a, a law that God gave. And, and then mandating different things like on Palm Sunday, or Ash Wednesday, I should say, going to a church and having a priest burn some palm leaves and put the ashes on your head, and, and you don't do this with it, and you do this, and you don't do that, and you do this, and, and, and all that. All of that, all of that imagery is made up by human beings. And Paul says in Colossians 2, it is of no value in the indulgence of the flesh. And here's, here's a perfect illustration of that. The day before Lent starts is called Mardi Gras, French. Oh, yes. Which is, this, which is <clears throat> the letting loose as Fat Tuesday before Ash Wednesday in the Catholic Church is Fat Tuesday. And Fat Tuesday is about letting loose all your passions so you can prepare for Lent. And that's why in New Orleans and some some customs, French customs are very, they engage in all kind of debauchery and licentiousness, giving in to the indulgence of the flesh because they're about to begin a fast. Like a person going to go on a diet, so they, they, go to the, they go to Golden Corral Buffet the day before and gorge themselves. I think it's kind of missing the point. And so I don't think God is at all pleased by human invention of Fat Tuesday before people are supposedly doing their religious thing to serve him and going on a fast for 40 days. Uh, it's discouraging, Gary. Well, it, it, keeps, it it's keeps you from things like James 2 and verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Basically, you're taking your attention away from the things that God would really have you do, such as you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Are you really thinking about loving your neighbor during Mardi Gras or Lent or any of those things for that matter? Uh, it's just, it, 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 it counterproductive is the way I see it. That's about the, the, the most benign way I can say it. it. It doesn't work, right? Yes. It doesn't work. Uh, and so that, that's the problem. And I know that the, uh, the sad thing about it is you and I will receive more criticism for saying this than people do for keeping holidays and demanding holidays that the Bible never mentions. That's yes. the sad part about it. Uh, and so, well, anyway... Uh, we, I can put up with that. but Well, James chapter 2 is such a good chapter about what we really should be doing and concentrating on, uh, I think, in many ways. It says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give him the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Basically, the works he's talking about here are the works of God, the things that you've been commanded in the Scripture to do. Correct. That's what God wants you to do. That's what God wants you to do. Not what you want to do about it, what you feel about it. But what we're really in that age, this is the whole subject, Gary, we're really in that age now where religion involves what do you feel in your heart, what do you think you should do. And... um, it, that's the that's the wrong approach to religion. 
not very many people are going to accept any other kind, though. They only want the kind that says, I get to do what I want in religion. I'm going to sit back and listen. In fact, in the sermon I'm going to preach this morning a little bit later, Lord willing, at, in the 11 o'clock hour, Gary, I'm going to talk about Elijah uh, and his <clears throat> experiences on Mount Carmel and then later, mostly later than that, about this, he, where he says, the Lord told Elijah, I, I yet have my 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. One of the, that passage is also remembered by people because on the mountain, when Elijah ran away from, from Jezebel in fear and was hiding in the cave, uh, you know, despondent, the Lord came and he said he showed him a great wind and a fire, earthquake, and so forth. And it says God was not in that. But then, he, then a still small voice. And people will take that passage there and completely twist it to think that the still small voice there is referring to the fact that when they uh, sit and meditate that God talks to them and tells them what they're supposed to be doing. It doesn't say that God said anything in this still small voice that Elijah remembered. Later on, there was a, in the normal tone, he told him what to do, go do this, go do that. But people misuse that passage and they're, and they're waiting today to hear that still small voice. So they'll say, well, I heard Mike and Gary on the radio talking about Lent and how it wasn't in the Bible, so I think I'll pray about that. And well, they'll pray, and then in their head they'll hear a voice saying, nah, they're not right about that. I, I, like, I think I like Lent. I think I'd like to do that. I, I think I like these holidays. And so the still small voice tells them, I like it. I want to do it. And so nothing else matters. This is where a lot of people are in their religion. It's a dangerous place to be. I'm not mad about that. It's a dangerous place for you to be because you're listening to your voice and not the voice of the Lord as recorded through his apostles and prophets. Well, and it, it, basically, Mike, it's much easier to participate in something like that, I think, than it is to basically, when someone comes to you in need, then to allocate your resources to giving them help. That's much easier right. to do right. is to celebrate that holiday than it is to... It's like, depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? He's saying you need to give them those things. That's harder to do. I'll tell you, that's harder to do. Depart with that, with those resources that you spent hours earning. That's not an easy thing in a lot of cases. Yes. Now, now there are different kinds of people who keep a holiday like Lent or Easter. One of them is the kind you're talking about, where they use this as a cover for doing what they want. You can't say I'm not religious because I went to church on Christmas and because I, I, I went on Ash Wednesday and I go on Easter Sunday, so got to leave me alone. And then the rest of them, they do what they want to do in the end. Then there's the other kind, more like my grandmother, who thought that that was what she ought to be doing because the priest said to do those things as a Roman Catholic. And so I, when she died, you could see the little... Uh, palm leaves on her mantle. I think I still have some of them. Uh, uh, and you see all the little things that she had got around Easter time. She had little crosses and all these things. She wasn't doing that because she was a wicked person intent on doing her own way. She, she was doing it because she thought that was what was right, and she was mistaken about it, very mistaken about it. But that's what she thought she ought to do. But and unfortunately. I, I can't help the first person who's a phony, really. It's hard to help those people. But I can help the second kind of person by showing them that the really right thing to do is to find out what the Bible says and follow that and don't feel guilty for, for not doing all these other things that, that men command. Yes. Well, basically, Mike, what we're doing here is, in a way, I think we're answering the question of how do you recognize the church? And and I, I'd like to go back and just let, let's, if you don't mind, let's talk about. No, we've some, got about no, what, 10 minutes left, so we'll start. Yeah, let's, we can start let's, that. Let, let's anyway. talk about what, what, what are some of the questions that I might ask and the situation for those questions. If, if, you're, if you're in a church that claims to be a denomination, one of the first things I would ask, because there's a lot of false doctrines out there, first question I would ask is, what must I do to be saved? What does your what does your denomination say that I should do to be saved? And if that doesn't match what's in the scripture, then I keep looking. That's all I can say. And and you need to get the detailed answer, but you, you point out quite properly, unless we know what's in scripture, how do we know what the answer to that question should be? 
Yes. What should I do to be saved? You can find lots of answers to that question. Yeah. Uh, All the way from you don't need to be saved. You're fine like you are. God loves you and everybody's fine. I'm okay. You're okay. All the way to all kind of other things that you should do. Right. That God never said at all. And so one of the first things you have to do is learn what's in Scripture. And and basically, I keep coming back to the fact that that's what you and I are here for. Well, yes, we're not the only ones, but we're, we're, that's certainly what the show's about. It isn't just having fun. We, we do enjoy it. But it's not just having fun on the radio. We're trying to point you in a certain direction, and, and that's why some people are going to like what they hear. Some people aren't going to like what they hear, but that's what it's about. Now, when you go to ask that question about a church where you might want to visit, what should I do to be saved? You're going to hear a lot of different answers, and you've got you to gotta look for the right things. And, and you'll hear some people, ironically, Gary, <coughs> I've run into some ministers are not even honest about what they teach about this subject, depending on what you tell them. I can tell you some stories about that, but they're, they're not going to level with you about it. They're going to say, oh, yes, we believe in baptism, but they don't, they're not going to tell you what they really mean about that and what they're actually teaching about that unless you really probe them. So it, it's involved. Once again, the it's, Bible requires you to look carefully at it and not just take any old answer that comes along because the person who tells you is a nice, a nice man. Well, starting to learn what, uh, what, what basically what they're saying is most of them will tell you, you have to believe you have to believe in Jesus Christ. Well, what do you have to believe in Jesus Christ? What do they mean by believe? What is their definition of believe? Many of these questions come along in trying to determine what the Bible says. I'll tell you the Bible definition of belief in many cases, if not most of the time, is the idea of mental acknowledgement and obedience to God's commands. Yeah, it's kind of hooked in the same way. It's like the Hebrew word Shema, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The word hear in Hebrew, when it's applied throughout the Bible, means hear and do. Hear and, hear and listen. It means more than just hear it. It means hear and understand. pay attention to it. Hear and understand. Yes, pay attention understand. to it. Right. Uh, and so basically believe in the scripture is not just mental acknowledgement. Now, it is in a few cases. I well, think. it includes that, of course, but that's not all, that's not all there is to it. Right. Unless, unless there's a kind, like in James, when he's trying to contrast people who say mental acknowledgement is n- enough. Well, James chapter two is one of those. Yeah, one of those yes, because passages. he's saying there the demons believe and they tremble, but they won't. But they won't do anything else about it. Now, so he's using believe there. I mean, they, they'll mentally acknowledge that the, the Lord is that Jesus is God or that Jesus is the Messiah, and they tremble at that fact. But they don't. They don't actually do anything about it. So they're lost because their belief wasn't good enough. Wasn't the right kind of belief. And, and so there are many things, you know, what should we believe about Jesus? Well, Paul says, I believe in the Roman Romans chapter 10, when he, when he says you're making a confession, he says, you, you must believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. And he makes a point later on in, I believe it's in the Colossian letter of how important that resurrection is to your belief that because if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, everything that's in the Bible is worthless, right? First Corinthians 15 tells yeah, you your faith is vain if Christ has raised from the dead. So there are certain things that we need to believe and, and understand. And we also need to believe that baptism is not a work that you do, that you do. It's not a ceremony, but God does things upon your action of baptism. You have to do things. You need to repent. And then you're baptized for the forgiveness of sins. So God, at that point, forgives your sins. Your sins are not forgiven before you baptize from everything I can read in the scripture. Right. And your decision to repent of your past life and put that behind you and make uh, a new life based on the commands that God and Jesus Christ have given you. That decision coupled with your baptism is what prompts God to take his part in the action, which is a forgiveness of your sins. Right. So these things have more than just a cursory definition. And you have one of the things that I would say when you ask that question about what must I do to be saved? Like when I ask, you know, well, well, what is the prayer? What? Where is it in the scriptures? So I'll know the context of it. So I'll know what the definition of it, what God is talking about in it. And when they could not give that to me and had to admit that it was not in scripture, uh, 
I can make a decision about what's taught there. It's not scriptural. I need to look right. at what God has to say. Right. So that's that's where I'm coming from. I, I wanted to get that in. You know, there's a lot more we could say about this, but so your first advice to someone about finding the church of Jesus Christ, not just any old church, right, is to ask them and find out what do they teach about how to be saved from the right. is, and is it from the Bible? And is Compare it from the Bible? To what the Bible completely that would be says the about the first that. thing that I would do. Yes, not about whether uh, they're teaching uh, salvation by by the sinner's prayer or anything like that. I would yes, that's a, that's a good because if they don't teach you the truth about how to be saved, then everything else goes awry from that point. Right. Everything everything else is going to be off at that point. And has their denomination just accepted whatever the Reformation theology that came down to them from Martin Luther and John Calvin and John Wesley, or have they actually gone back to the Bible to find out what the Bible says about how to be saved? And can they read you clearly from the Scripture and account for all the Scriptures? Not just one Scripture, Ephesians 2, right. 8, 9, but have they accounted for all the Scriptures? For, for example, this point you just made about baptism and, and works. I think I mentioned this recently, do read it again, I'm going to read it again after this, I'm sure. Paul says to them in, Col- in Colossians chapter 2, just, a, just above where we were reading a moment ago, in him you were also circumcised, meaning you Christians, were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. So even these Gentile Christians have been circumcised, not with a literal circumcision, but a spiritual circumcision, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. What happens in baptism is expressing faith in not in your works, not in a work of man, but the faith in the working of God by being being buried with Christ in baptism. So you can ask them that question. So the plan of salvation, you're right, I think, is central to this whole idea of how do I find the right church. And if the answer is not, if their answer is not from scripture, then you need go no further. No, you won't be getting the right. You won't get, you, if they're, if they're going to tell you that they're based in reformation theology or they're a Roman Catholic church, you're, you're simply not going to get what the whole Bible says about that. So you're going to get a philosophy from John, from, from John Calvin or from uh, Martin Luther about how to be saved, not Putting, not taking the scriptures as they are and putting them together to make a coherent understanding of how people are saved. Do they take you to the book of Acts and read to you how people were saved? Are they going to discuss Romans 6 about being buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life, which clearly puts the point of the new birth at baptism? And how should. are you born again? Oh, you've got to be born again. You're born again, according to Romans 6, when you're raised up on the waters of baptism. That's what Paul says. And it makes, it makes John chapter 3 really make sense. It makes it clear. But if they're quoting John 3 and, and all that, and they don't quote that passage, then they're, they're not telling you the whole truth about it. And they may be nice people, may be a nice, friendly group of people. But that certainly doesn't mean that. Well, there are a lot of, the there are a lot of good it. people. And, and these people that I wrote to and, and corresponded with back and forth, I've been friends with years. I know they're good people. But they're the yes. ones telling me these things that are not in scripture. I just want to I'm just trying to make the point when I say things like that, Gary, yes. That that some people have this idea that if you disagree with someone in religion and say they're wrong, that you're not a nice person or that you hate them. Why do you hate people? Well, I just I uh, do not and you don't either, Gary, I know. We don't respect the idea that disagreement means hate. Hate is something different than disagreement. And so we need to pay attention to that and not get not just not think that you're, I'm being a mean person because I say this person is incorrect. We need to understand that it's not good to be incorrect about God's word and I would like someone to tell me and show me about that. Well, we got a little bit of about a minute and a half left, Gary. You want to summarize this real quick and then Well, I'll just quickly that's the first question. Now, Mike, I really I think there are other questions that should be answered, but if you can't oh, get I've got past, at least a whole show on other questions. Right, yes. on other questions, but it, if you don't get the right answer with that one, there's really no need in proceeding further with that idea or right. group of people. Correct. That's exactly uh, right. Unless you think you're going to convert them to the truth, which very rarely happens. Right. But that's that's my point. This is the first and most important question to ask, and once you and and you have to understand completely. We've got a I got a lot of passages that I would 
would go along with, you know, what's a full understanding of that answer. And I caution you, caution you, you know, stringently about the definition, their definition of the word believe or right. belief. Right. Well, we appreciate you listening today. We've got to run. We pre- thank you for ca- tuning in. Hope that you'll take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. And we'd like to invite you to come and be with us today at 10 o'clock and also at 11 o'clock this morning for worship and Wednesday night at 730. We'd invite you to come and be with us today at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. You'll find just ordinary Christians seeking to do God's will, and you'll find a warm welcome. We're never going to ask you for money. You can rest assured of that. We're here to do spiritual work. Thanks for tuning in today. Hope that God will bless you in the coming week. WPSL. Port St. Lucie.